Sports fans of all ages, faces, and places from every stadium, arena, and auditorium all over the world. May I have your attention, please? What well, time's coming when we're going to have to handy up? Handy up and kick in like men. Like men! It is now time to bring to your listening ears, hearts, and minds a sports podcast named Wendell's World in Sports with the one and only Wendell Wallace. Tell him how you feel. A podcast that gives you strong, passionate, unapologetic, uncompromised thoughts and opinions about the everyday happenings in the NFL. And college football to the NBA in my Georgetown Hoyas. Giannis fires one down and an exclamation point for Milwaukee. To any other sporting news of the day. And now, introducing the man whose love of sports was born and bred on the greatest Muhammad Ali, Lynn Baez, Magic Johnson, Bernard King, and Eric Dickerson, Wendell Wallace. Bonjour, bonsoir, monsieur. Mademoiselle, je m'appelle Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Que pasa, mi amigos? Me llamo Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World of Sports. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to get down on and discuss today in the World of Sports. Shalom, wassalam alaikum, konnichiwa, namaste, good morning, good abend, Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host. Today on the program... Anywhere where you're listening to your favorite program, after listening to this program, do me a favor. Or you can do it during the program. You can do it before the program. If you could just download, subscribe, rate, review, most importantly, enjoy the most unique, entertaining, thought-provoking sports talk podcast that you can listen to, doggone it, I would very much appreciate it. I want to begin the program today, and I want to... Send a special dedication to my main man, Eric G. And I also want to uh, send a special dedication to Coach Pat Jones for giving me the opportunity to speak on this. I was listening to their program. They do a sports talk radio program in Tulsa, Oklahoma, the sports animal, uh, the Pat Jones show. You can listen to that 11 to 2 Central Standard Time. I listen to it 9 to 12 Pacific Standard Time, get into the goings on and the happenings of Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, college football, the NFL, those type of things. Coach Jones, Eric, they do a terrific job. I was listening to them the other day, and they were speaking about, they've they've broached this uh, subject before, they were speaking about the state of college football, how it's broken, how it's the wild, wild west, how it's out of control, how it's terrible and horrible and all these things. And it really caught my attention. I was like, hmm, really? College football is out of control. College football is the wild, wild west. College football is a disaster with the implementation of NIL, which is name, image, and likeness, and the transfer portal. All of these kids going into the transfer portal. It's terrible. It's horrible. College football is broken. It needs to be fixed. Congress, come in and help us, please. This, that, and the other. Interesting. Interesting. So I was sitting there, and I was listening to them, and then... Sparked my interest to go ahead and give my thoughts and opinions on this podcast. Read some um, read some stuff on CBS Sports, the opinions about it. Read it on ESPN. Listened to uh, Cover 3 Sports, Danny Cannell giving his two cents in and those fellas and a couple of others. Get, got all this information about how horrible and terrible and awful college football is. Uh, took in all the thoughts and opinions from these guys and gals. Uh, through print and through word. And I said to myself, hmm, interesting. All of this really started or really caught my uh, attention when Coach Jones and Eric were speaking about um, Lane Kiffin, what he said at 
ESC, uh, SEC media days on Thursday, this past Thursday, regarding players' ability to be a co- uh, compensated for NIL and also the ability to transfer. Kiffin prefaced his comments by saying, hey, look, he's happy. I'm happy that players can get paid. Wonderful. Love it. But he said the unintended consequence of NIL is a pay-for-play system where players follow the money and the teams with the deepest pockets get the best talent. I always thought it was the best program. I didn't know, Lane, that uh, Alabama and Ohio State and Michigan and Notre Dame and Clemson and LSU and Georgia, I didn't know that they were, they, they were uh, you know, floundering in the um, recruiting rankings before NIL came along. I, I, I had no idea. So that was, that, that was interesting to say that because these players, quote-unquote, follow the money, the team for the deepest pockets get the best talent. That, 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 that all of a sudden now, that's the reason why Alabama and Georgia and Michigan and Ohio State and Clemson and all of these other teams have been so dominant. Now, they've been dominant a lot longer before NIL and the transfer portal, uh, the transfer rules happen there, uh, Lane. Uh, it's called having a really good program, and it's called how quickly can you get me to the NFL. That, that That's just as important or almost as more important than NIL money. Uh, if I can go to Kentucky and I can be in the NBA in six months or eight months, for the most part, I really that's going to be the the that's really going to be the the main reason why I go to a university. Does name and image how much money that you can make while you're there? Does that play a role? Absolutely. Is that the main reason, or that has that been a size a seismic shift? And all of a sudden now, these teams like the Dukes and Kentuckys and basketball and the Alabamas and the Georgias and the LSUs and the Clemsons and the Ohio States and the Michigans, all of a sudden now, that's the reason why they're been, they've been dominant um, through in, during this NIL transfer portal period? No, I don't think so. But, you know, if you want to throw that out there, that's fine. So he said that's one of the reasons why. Pay for play, terrible, horrible, this, that, and the other. What Kiffin said about the transfer portal, he said every he said free agency now exists. Except that unlike professional sports, every college player can enter into free agency twice a year with the spring and winter transfer windows. He said we've got professional sports, except with no salary cap or luxury tax, and the result is myriad issues for coaches. I want you to pay strict attention to that word, coaches. When we're speaking about college football being broken, college football needs to be fixed. College football is a disaster. College football, all the negativity. I want you to really equate all of that with the word coaches. All right. Kiffin went on to say that the world that we live in, that's the world that we live in, but at the same time, I don't think that's really good for college football. These massive overhauls of roster every year really is not in the best interest of college football. Really, Lane? There's kind of uh, your state of the union on the situation of what all coaches are dealing with around the coach, uh, around the country. Ah, there is, there's kind of a state of a union, state of union on the situation of what all coaches are dealing with around the country. Really a poor system that isn't getting better and now is going to get worse. Because again, now we just look at recruiting rankings and you're going to see that they're usually going to follow this donor base and what schools are going to decide to give the most money to the players. And I'm not complaining about it because we've taken advantage obviously of free agency oh yes you have Lee. I'm, I'm glad you prefaced your complaining and your whining with that that yes it's horrible it's terrible but uh, you're damn right I'm going to be taking advantage of it Lane Kiffin yes folks 
the moral compass of college football. Lane Kiffin got his job, uh, I believe, what, in his early to mid-30s at the University of Tennessee. Couldn't wait to leave there. Left that program in shambles so he could take a job with the Oakland Raiders at the NFL. Him and Al Davis had a falling out, so he went back with the coach at USC. They fired his ass on the tar- on the uh, tarmac um, in the middle of the season. Then to resuscitate his career and his reputation, he got the offensive coordinator position under Nick Saban. At the University of Alabama, did well there, and he parlayed that success into getting the head coaching job at Mississippi to where this past offseason he interviewed for the job at Auburn because Lane Kiffin is all about Lane Kiffin. So the guy who's worried about players getting paid in the transfer portal uh, has taken advantage of what we would say some of the real negatives of college football, which is these coaches basically lying to these players uh, so they can get them on campus to help them in their careers, especially if you're someone like a mid-major coach and you're looking to get into one of the big-time jobs so you can get that big-time salary and you're going every year to audition or to interview for these big-time jobs, but yet still, you still have to go into these living rooms and sit next to the, talk to the parents and the child to let them know that I'm going to be here. Your child needs to go to my school because I want to be looking after him and I want to be able to help him from the transition of being a boy to a man and blah, blah, blah. But of course, I'm not going to be telling you that I'm trying to get your son to this school because he's going to improve my chances to leave him behind when the next big 12, big 10 ACC job comes open because it could almost quadruple my salary and that's exactly what I'm looking for. They don't tell you any of that. The state of college football, when that stuff was happening and players couldn't do anything or go anywhere or get paid for what they bring to the university, all oh, college football was fantastic according to these coaches. Oh, college football was so much better. College football wasn't broken. College football didn't have so many negatives. But oh my goodness gracious, you start giving some power, you start giving some control to the players. Oh no! You start having these players get compensated. Oh, no. You start having some of these high-profile coaches start losing some of the power that they have and the control that they have over these student-athletes. Oh, no. College football is broken. College football needs to be fixed. College football is terrible. I've said this. I've listened to Danny Cannell. I was listening to a bunch of a podcast. I was listening to Coach Jones and Eric. I was reading up on the subject on CBS Sports and ESPN and and, uh, Yahoo. And I I hear this all the time. NIL and and the transfer portal is terrible. It's horrible for college football. And I'm thinking to myself, who exactly is it horrible for? It's horrible for the uh, players to have ultimate freedom. It's horrible for the players to be paid their worth to the university. Coach Jones was up there speaking about, hey, it's cost $70,000 for a player to uh, go to the, uh, uh, for a uh, student to go to the University of Tulsa. He told Eric, um, you know, it cost $70,000. Okay. But you, you do realize that once they are on that campus, they are basically property of the university and of that football program. And their job is not to graduate. Their job is not to be um, go, doing well in the classroom or being a strong person in the community with social work or volunteer work. Their job is to have them win football games and basketball games. These coaches are not being paid. Nick Saban is not getting paid $11.25 million. Mel Tucker is not being paid $9.3 million. Jimbo Fisher and Brian Kelly are not being being paid $9.5 million to be having students go to class and have strong GPAs. 
As Notre Dame said when they fired Tyrone Willingham back in the day, hey, let me tell you something, man. From Sunday through Friday, Tyrone Willingham was great. He was awesome. He was a wonderful representative for the uh, University of Notre Dame. The players that he recruited were great. They were awesome. They're doing well in school. They're going to graduate. They're going to go on to do great things. But unfortunately, they didn't win enough football games, so Tyrone Willingham does not have a job anymore. And that's the same thing with Nick Saban. Paul Feinbaum, on the other hand, was on the other day was speaking about how Nick Saban might be on the hot seat. Huh? What? <laughs> so uh, it, it, it's amazing to me that, yes, these players come in and they get per diem and they get to be living the big man on campus and they stay in the nice dorms and they have nice facilities. All of these things, nice per diem, scholarship paid for, no student debt coming out of uh, college. All of that stuff is great. And all that stuff is fantastic. It's wonderful. But still, when you speak about the Bryce Youngs, when you speak about the um, top players in whether it be football, baseball, basketball, wrestling, lacrosse for these universities, some of these universities that are one of the, you know, the, the lifeblood of many, not just communities or cities, but sometimes states. Yeah, sorry, a, um, a just a scholarship and just the bare bones scholarship per diem and all that kind of stuff for some of these players. That, that's not happening. That, we need a little bit more. You know, when we have to uh, hear, when I go on these sports talk shows and they show highlights of these student athletes missing a kick that can win them a game, or when someone has a bad game throwing four interceptions and goes six for 21 from the field, and they show that, and they have these folks who are making six and seven figures talk about this guy's and doing this, this guy's and doing that, this guy's been a disappointment, this guy's not living up to expectations. When we have to go ahead and when a player does something or transfers, that we have to have these guys come on national television and debate whether he made the right decision or not. Most of the time, these guys don't know exactly what is going on. When we have to have these guys go on social media and these guys who have a bad football game or lose a wrestling match or do these type of things, and depending upon what gender you are, depending upon what race that you are, that they have to, that, that their social media is going to be filled with death threats, racial slurs, misogynistic quotes, threats, and those type of things. Yeah, I think just having a salary or just having a scholarship along with per diem and everything like that, I think you need a little bit more think you need a little bit more than that so it, it's always it's always hilarious to me when I hear that nonsense oh my goodness college football is just terrible because these guys are in the transfer portal I thought number one we don't even have enough anecdotal evidence to even know if this is horrible for college football for college basketball because I always thought because the NCAA shoved this down my throat College coaches shoved this down my throat. The athletic director shoved this down my throat. That the most important thing for these athletes when they come to school, whether it be on a football scholarship or a basketball scholarship or a wrestling scholarship or a lacrosse scholarship or a soccer scholarship or a swimming scholarship, whatever. I thought the main thing for them when they come to the university is to graduate. I thought that was the main thing. It's not how many points that you score. It's not how many rebounds that you get. It's not how many touchdown passes that you throw. It's not how many home runs that you hit. It's not how many goals that you score. It's not how many NCAA championships you win. It's all about getting that degree. No matter if you're speaking about from the top tier elite 
college football programs, basketball programs, baseball programs, uh, track and field programs. doesn't matter. The main thing when we recruit you to go to Alabama, Auburn, USC, Michigan, Kentucky, Indiana, Georgetown, Villanova, USC, whatever, in whatever sport that you play in, your main job is to leave in four years with a college degree, right? So this stuff about players entering the transfer portal, players going here, this, that, and the other, we always go to the assumption that almost all of the majority of these guys who are or, and gals who are going to the transfer portal is because they're not getting enough playing time. I'm not getting enough playing time, so I want to transfer. You know, that, that, that's the main deal, right? That, that, that's one of the main reasons why. We don't even know. There hasn't been enough evidence to even know. If, if, if you could show me that of the 2,000 players, let's throw out the arbitrary number of this past season. And we'll stay with college football because college football is broken. If you can tell me that the players who entered the transfer portal, arbitrary number being say two thousand, let's say that let's say that eight hundred of those players who entered the transfer portal they dropped out of school, they went to another school and they dropped out, and now they're just hanging out doing nothing they didn't get their degree they're they're back home you know wherever that they're from and and, and they really don't have any prospect they didn't get the education this, that and the other uh, let's say for instance that these players who, who who entered the transfer portal when they left they were on track to graduate they were doing well in school they're acclimating themselves well with the everyday of being a college student but because they weren't getting playing time they all thought that they could go to the NFL. They said, you know what, well, screw this. Let me go ahead and go and transfer to another school because I want to go to a place where I can start and win a Heisman Trophy and be the number one draft pick by a team and make millions upon millions of dollars and play 27 years in the NFL. So I'm going to go to this school. They went to this school and all of a sudden, because of the transfer portal, because of the school that they went to, because of the decision that they made, they dropped out. It was a disaster. Now they're at home and now they're depressed and now they don't know what they're going to be doing and now they're on food stamps and now they're working minimum wage and all this kind of... If you could show me some type of anecdotal evidence that shows that's what happens or somewhere around that range, that's what happens when a student leaves a university or transfers from a football program to another football program. If you could show me that, then yeah, college football in that regard, it would be a disaster. It would be terrible. It would be horrible. Yes, something needed would, would need to be changed. Absolutely. But how many of these, how many of these players? And, and, and because the rules have been so have just started, we really don't have the evidence yet. Or we really don't have enough information or data yet. But how many of these players transfer to another school, and ultimately they do graduate? Ultimately, they might graduate, they might find their wife, they might find a community where they want to raise their children, want to raise their family. How, how much is that? How much is the, how much of a ratio is that compared to these guys go to another school and they drop out, they don't do, do well? We're, we're always, we're always concentrating on the coaches. We're always concentrating, oh, how is this going to affect Nick Saban? How is this going to affect Jimbo Fisher? How is this going to affect Dabo Sweeney? All of these new players and all of these new rosters, the roster turnover. Oh my goodness. This is so horrible. This is so terrible. For who? 
For some guy who's making $11.25 million? For a guy who's making $9.5 million? Having to go out and recruit and poach and do whatever to bring players into their uh, program? That's the rough thing? That's the hardest thing? That's what's leading to the disaster of college football? Have we thought about the players? Have we followed up with the players that have left the football program, the basketball program, the wrestling program to go to another school to see how they're doing? And how many of those who have entered the transfer portal have been because the coach has come up to him and said, look, you're not getting the job done. How, how many players who have, entered the, who have entered the transfer portal because a new coach comes in and says, hey, look, you know what? You're used to running this system. We're running this system. And I'm bringing in my, I'm bringing in my own guys. I'm going to recruit my own players. So it would be best for you to go and um, go somewhere else. Of the 51 players from Colorado who entered the transfer portal, how many of them did it because, well, I, if Dion is bringing his own luggage, um, I'm moving out. I'm taking my talent somewhere else. How many of those, how many of those players made those, made that decision compared to Dion saying, Hey, look, man, I was watching your tape. You ain't hacking it. You ain't good enough to be playing for this university. You ain't good enough to be playing for me. About time you look for somewhere else to go to school, right? How many of that? How many of these coaches are contributing to the disaster, which is the transfer portal? Because I get the, I, I, I'm on the assumption, listening to these folks talk about how horrible and terrible it is, if that the only reason why that these guys go to the transfer portal is because they want to get more playing time. That they're tired of sitting on the bench. Because these lazy, good-for-nothing, generation-whatever types, they're not used to hard work. When the times get tough, they want to get going. They have no backbone. They have no spine. They have no courage. They, they Everything they want now, 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 now. See, some of that is true. But to have that be the overwhelming narrative in terms of the transfer portal is terrible, is horrible, is college football disaster, blah, 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 blah. To me, it's just ridiculous. To me, it's just ridiculous. And again, there's not enough data for us to even make that assumption that this is a disaster for college football. Why? Because rosters change all the time? Because players are entering the transfer portal? Now, let me tell you something. If Will Anderson, if Bryce Young, if, um, if, if well, Caleb Williams, <laughs> Caleb Williams did go to the transfer portal, but that was because Lane Kiffin, uh, excuse me, um, uh, Lincoln Riley took a job. He left uh, Oklahoma to um, USC. So Caleb Williams followed Riley to, um, to uh, Southern California. But if there was just these, if, if, if there were this, these high-profile players, whether it be whatever sport, and they were jumping schools left or right. Yeah, that would be a problem. So when Lane Kiffin said, could you imagine Lionel Messi? Could you imagine LeBron? Could you imagine these guys, these famous players, if they had the ability to uh, become free agents twice a year during the season? Well, it really wouldn't matter because LeBron ain't leaving Los Angeles. Really wouldn't matter because Lionel Messi, whoever he was playing for, wasn't going to be leaving the squad, from what I know. I don't know. I don't, I don't know what team he played for, but this, that, and the other. But, but, but most of the great players, most of the players that he was talking about in terms of the transfer portal, the transfer portal, those players aren't going anywhere. Bryce Young is not transferring. You know, the, the, the best players on, on, a, on a football team, the best players for Georgia, Alabama, number one uh, draft picks, they ain't going nowhere. Or the high majority of them, they ain't going nowhere. And isn't that all we care about as fans? For those who are sitting there lamenting, oh, college football is broken because all of these new rosters that we have from season to season. 
for someone who is who is a college football fan, right? Hey, look, I want to turn on the television during the fall on Thursday, on Saturday, and watch college football, right? For those who are for those who are in that in that space, and they don't follow recruiting twenty four seven, and they don't live and die with every snap and every single play from their college football squad. They don't follow what's going on with their college football or basketball team twenty four seven, three hundred sixty five days a year. Could you name me? I mean, let's just take the average person at the who's a fan of, of Oklahoma. Do, can you really name me the players of any impact that have left the program of Oklahoma State, of Tulsa, of Texas, of SMU, of New Mexico, of UCLA, of Washington State, of Georgia Tech, of Florida uh, International? Could, could you name me? Any of these players that are leaving or players, can anybody name five players from Colorado, even someone who's a college football fan, even someone who proclaims to be a strong college football fan, can you name me five players from Colorado that left the transfer portal? I'm quite sure that even the most ardent Colorado uh, Buffalo football fan, it can't name five or ten players who have left the program. And as bad as Colorado was last last year, that's a good thing. Man, my team, the love of my life, is the Georgetown University basketball team. When Patrick Ewing changed over his squad after going 5-25, and 25, I was like, good, good, get rid of these guys. Colin Holloway and these guys, they can't play at this level. I don't want them around playing for this team. They, they can't play at the Big East level. Bring them some new guys. Bring them some new talent. I wasn't sitting there talking about, oh, college basketball. I just can't believe it. My goodness gracious. I mean... Oh, these guys are now going to be leaving and now I'm going to have to know new teammates and the new players and this, that, and the other. This is so horrible. This is so broken. This is so terrible. If every single player that transferred from Georgetown go on to get their degree, whether it be, you know, from whatever school they transferred to, whether it be their first school, second school that they transferred to, as long as they get their degree, isn't that the main thing that we're going to be looking at? Isn't that the main thing we should be concerned about? Isn't that, shouldn't that be the true test of what college football is all about in terms of whether it's broken or not? Shouldn't we be worried more about graduation rates and what they do and maybe if these guys, uh, maybe if these guys can become productive citizens and, and, and maybe stop talking about these roster changes where most people cannot tell you five players who are leaving and five players who are coming in? Can, can we can we stop with this nonsense? Can we stop with the, oh my goodness, it's terrible, it's horrible now that these coaches don't have the control that they used to have? So that's why I was, so, so when you're speaking about college football being a disaster, college football being broken, yeah, it's broken for high-powered coaches. Why? Because it threatens their way of life. It threatens their status. It threatens their power. That's what's wrong with college football when you speak about color football and it's a disaster you're looking mainly from a coaching standpoint you're definitely not looking at it from a player standpoint so i thought it was i thought it was hilarious when they spoke about that nonsense what we need to go back we need to go back to the good old days of college football when art briles was roaming the campus bringing in sexual predators we we need to go back to the good old days when uh, uh, you know, schools like Oklahoma State were bringing in Dexter Manley to play football, and Dexter Manley couldn't read. We 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 want to go back to the good old days of that. We want to go back to the good old days of sports where there was cheating and point shaving and that type of thing. Those were the good old days 
when coaches were acting were, were, were really out of control, when Dave Bliss tried to uh, denigrate a player, uh, an ex-player who was murdered by one of his players, that's, that's, the, that's the type of um, atmosphere that we want to have. That's the type of uh, time period that we want to go back to in college athletics. Really? College football is so broke and so broken down that NIL and transfer, that's leading to the desecration of college football. Forget that Barry Switzer near the end of his tenure had, had thugs in his, um, on his football team that were hanging out with Uzis in their dorm room. Oh, the good old days of college football. Let, yeah, let's bring back players who have third-grade reading levels. Let's put them on campus. Let's bring guys in who are sexual predators to put co-eds in, in, in danger. The good old days of college football. All oh, the good old days of Baylor University, right? Good old Art Bryles. Let's bring back coaches like that, right? But oh my goodness, players transferring every year. That's horrible. That's terrible. That's untenable. We can't have that in college football. Players getting paid. That's terrible. That's horrible. You're right, because players never got paid before. Right. You're right. Eric Dickerson didn't get a gold Trans Am to go to the SMU. You're right. The Big 8 Conference, the Pony Express, you're right. The good old days. Those guys never got paid. Those guys were just so happy to be student-athletes. You're right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, you know, the, 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 the fact that, uh, <clears throat> that that's horrible now. That's terrible now. Let me, let me tell you something. If, if there's a basketball player like um, Oscar Tshibwe, right? He was a guy who played for the University of Kentucky this past season. The year before that, he was the player of the year. Um, what was his decision to uh, not go to the NBA draft and probably not get drafted. He could go back to K- Kentucky. He could get some of that NIL money and also work toward graduating college. So not only could he get his degree, just in case his his NBA prospects didn't work out, he had millions upon millions of dollars to fall back on because of what he did in college to start a business, to help his community, to do some whatever he wanted to do. Hunter Dickerson, who is probably not going to play 15 seconds in the NBA, who transferred from Michigan to uh, Kansas. And yes, one of the reasons why was because of NIL money is because, guess what? This is his last chance to get a bite of the apple, to make life-changing money. At Michigan, he was a good student. So he transferred from Kansas. He transferred to Kansas. He's going to get his degree. He's going to get paid. And he's going to be a step ahead of everybody else. That's terrible. That's horrible. Drew Timmy, who played at Gonzaga, who went to the NBA draft, who declared uh, last season, didn't like his prospect, went back to Gonzaga. Why? Because there was NIL money for him to be set up to make some money, to graduate from school, and and, and it expands his options. Whether he wants to play overseas, whether he wants to go into coaching, whatever he wants to do, he'll have a boatload of money as something to fall back on, as a foundation, as some padding, so we can go ahead and have a better chance to do some things. That's horrible. Those examples all of a sudden now are making it terrible for college athletics. That's what's broken about college athletics. The Oscars Kashiwe story, the Hunter Dickerson story, the Drew Timmy story. Those stories are leading to the disaster, the broken system, which is college athletics. And I just mentioned three basketball players. I'm quite sure there's much more. Uh, and I'm quite sure um, for football players, especially When you're speaking about players who have transferred to other schools that are hotbeds for college football, I'm quite sure those guys have the same or better opportunities 
to uh, get out of um, college with a degree and money to do some things. That's what because of the transfer portal and because of NIL. All of a sudden now, that's a bad thing? That's horrible? That's terrible? That's a disaster? That's irreverent? That, that, that's broken? You call that broken? Interesting. I just, I just wanted to throw that out there and, again, just say, interesting, interesting, interesting. Pay for play, huh? Yes, Georgia, Alabama, those, those, those guys... Before NIL and and uh, transfer portal came in, they were floundering. They were terrible. That that's hard. These players don't go strictly on these five star recruits who are being recruited by Notre Dame and Texas and Oklahoma and LSU and Alabama and Clemson. The, 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 those guys aren't going to the biggest. Uh, uh, who's going to pay them the most? For the most part, some will. Most won't. Most of them are going to say, how quickly can you get me in the NFL? How quickly can I start? How quickly can I get in there? And how quickly can you make me a first-round draft pick? Same thing with Kentucky and basketball. Same thing with the, the, the top-tier basketball programs. It ain't about going to the highest bidder most of the time. It's about, look, man, how, how quickly can you get me into the NBA? How quickly can you get me to Major League Baseball? How quickly can you get me paid and get me to be a professional? So the biggest whiners and complainers, <laughs> Nick Saban, I'm sorry, he makes $11.7 million. Dabo Sweeney makes $11.5 million. Kirby Smart makes $11.25 million. Ryan Day makes $9.5 million. Lincoln Riley makes $10 million. I don't want to hear those guys whining and complaining and lamenting about, oh, oh NIL and the transfer portal is ruining college football. You know, it's ruining your opportunity. It's ruining it's not even ruining. It's making your job to earn that money, to have that prestige, to have that control, to have that power a lot harder. That's the only thing that's wrong with college football. If you really want to break it down, uh, it, ain't, it ain't bad bad for the fan bases. It ain't bad for the student athletes. It ain't bad for that. It's bad for these coaches making big bang and that being jeopardized. Hey, you know what, man? Uh, what, what these guys need to do? These guys just need to go ahead and uh, adjust. You know, and if you don't adjust, do what Mike Krzyzewski did. Do what um, Roy Williams did. You know, do what Jim Beheim did. Go ahead and retire. New age in college college sports, gentlemen. Sorry, if you still want to be getting paid, if you still want to be making, you know, generational type money, suck it up and get it done. And stop your whining and your moaning and your complaining and your nonsense about, oh my goodness, college football is so broken. No, 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 no. College football is not broken. College football is better than it's ever been. I'm
Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Talking about what is happening, what is going on in the world of sports. All good news, good news, good news, good news, good news. Just like Sam Cook said, ain't that good news? Man, ain't that good news? Daniel Snyder selling the football team. Ain't that good news? Man, ain't that news? Ain't that news? Ain't that good news? Lord, ain't that good news? Daniel Snyder selling the commanders. Ain't that good news? Lord, ain't that good news? Boy, I know Sam is looking down from heaven saying, what the fuck? But uh, hey, man, um, NFL approves the sixth. Point zero five billion dollar sale of commanders of the commanders. They find Daniel Snyder sixty million after releasing investigation reports. Snyder, fellow NFL franchise owners, voted unanimously to approve the six point zero five billion dollar sale on Thursday. The team was transferred to a group led by private equity investor Josh Harris. Harris Group includes. Magic Johnson, there you go, Irvin Magic Johnson, and billionaire Michael Rails, who, like Harris, is from Maryland. There are 20 limited partners in the Harris Group under the NFL limit of 25. Each partners had to, each partner had to be vetted for financial and security reason. And I, I think it's tremendous, and I think it's awesome that uh, we have a minority owner in Magic Johnson. He might not be the main guy, but the fact that now another great example of Magic, who owns. He owns four, he has a piece in four sports uh, franchises. The Commanders, the LA Sparks, uh, I think he has part owner or he has a share of a MLS team. But, uh, you know, when you speak about those guys, when you speak about how well that um, Jordan and Magic and Shaquille, the examples that they're, shoot, that they're uh, setting uh, for our community in terms of, hey, look, man, not only can you be a monster on the basketball court or on the baseball field, the baseball diamond, or on the uh, gridiron, but you can also take that, you can take the knowledge, you can take your expertise and do what you're doing uh, in your retirement. Uh, I think that's awesome. And I think that's fantastic. So uh, I want to congratulate Irvin Johnson for being the um, being a owner or having shares or stakes in my favorite pro football team. So, yes, it is done. It is done. It is done. I've said this so many doggone times. When you're speaking about, man, what does it mean that the Washington Commanders are no longer under the control of Daniel Snyder, man? I've always said this before when I broached this topic. For a, for a generation of people, Daniel Snyder has been the owner for God knows how long, over 20 plus years. There's a generation of people who have no idea what it's like to uh, to be a Redskins fan, or excuse me, to be a Commanders fan. No idea. When Snyder purchased the team in 1999 for $800 million and now giving it up finally, he's going to go down, his legacy is going to be of one of the worst owners in American sports history. He's going to be on the same level as a James Dolan, the owner of the New York Knicks, Fred Wilpon, the owner of the uh, New York uh, Mets, Donald Sterling of the LA Clippers, um, Robert Sarver of the Phoenix Suns, Mark Schott, let her rot in hell, in uh, Cincinnati, the Cincinnati Rev, uh, Reds, Joe and Gavin Maloof, remember them? Rich boys, silver spoons in their mouth, um, who owned the Sacramento Kings. Ted Stippian, way back in the day when he owned the Cleveland Cavaliers and basically gave Showtime its, uh, Showtime its start with his ridiculous move and giving the Los Angeles Lakers, trading the number one pick to the Los Angeles Lakers, who then went ahead and drafted Magic Johnson out of Michigan State and started the Showtime era. Jimmy Haslam 
who is the owner of the Cleveland Browns. Daniel Snyder is right there. Daniel Snyder might supersede all of them, but maybe the exception of, of, of Donald Sterling and Mark Schott and Robert Sarver, Daniel Snyder is in that group. Daniel Snyder, I, I don't know because, look, Donald Sterling, he was with the Clippers. Robert Sarver with the Phoenix Suns. Mark Schott with the Cincinnati Reds. While they destroyed those franchises, those franchises did not have the same cachet, did not have the same impact, did not have the same meaning of what the Washington football team had as far as the professional football team. The institution, the impact that it had, not just for the NFL, but on the community itself. Before the Charlotte Panthers uh, became an NFL, became into NFL existence, the Washington then Redskins were loved and beloved and had a fan base, strong fan base, not just in the Washington, D.C. metropolitan era, but you're going all the way down south. You're speaking about South Carolina. You're speaking about North Carolina. You're speaking about Virginia. You're speaking about most of Dixie. Now, George Preston Marshall being the owner for the longest of time and him being a vicious, racist segregationist. In fact, he was so racist and vicious that if he was still alive and he wanted to run for the uh, Republican Party's president, he would probably give Donald Trump a run for his money. That's how racist and ignorant that piece of shit was. But um, because of that, because of his views and because of the fact that he was talking about, I'll never have a Negro play on my football team, and he was forced by the commissioner to finally trade for Bobby Mitchell in the uh, early 60s from Cleveland. But, um, you know, because of his racist views and because of uh, that type of things, back down there in Dixie, the Washington football team had a strong following because Preston Marshall's views were right step in line with those in North Carolina, South Carolina, and Virginia, in those racist uh, those racist states back in those days. So when you're speaking about whether for good or for bad, the impact that the football team had on many, many communities and states, and what Daniel Snyder did to ultimately lead it to where the where it's completely irrelevant in so many hearts and minds in the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, the DMV and such, that it it probably ranks him right up there, again, at the top. If not number two or number three, somewhere around here. Bought the team in 1999, right? Um... From 1971 to 1972, when the team was owned by Jack Kent Cook, who was another worthless, horrible, misogynistic piece of shit human being who, my God, I hope he's burning in hell right now. But when the Washington football team was owned by uh, Jack Kent Cook from 1971 to 1992, the organization appeared in five Super Bowls, won three of them with all of the titles uh, occurring in a 10-year period that ended in 1991 again when uh, Joe Gibbs retired for the first time with the squad. Now, under Snyder, who bought the team in 1999, Washington has had a 164-220-2 record for a winning percentage of 42%. Only five teams have compiled a worse winning percentage in that span. Since 1999, Washington won the NFC East four times, but fared poorly in the playoffs going two and six. Have been in the, have won the NFC East four times in 23 years. The organization's eight playoff games were fewer than all but three teams in the past 24 years. The Commanders last won a playoff game uh, in 2005. Get him out of here. Get him out. 
out of here. Again, when you think about the impact, when you think about the prestige, when you think about everything in terms of what the Washington football team has meant to a generation before Daniel Snyder and after Daniel Snyder. And Daniel Snyder was in my generation. One of the reasons why he was so ardent and so headstrong and so uh, resistant to change the name. And the reason why he said that he would never give up the uh, ownership of the football team because he grew up in the D.C. area at the same time that I did. And he knew about the history. He knows about the history. He knows how important that squad is, that, that franchise is to our community. And to have it now, and look, when I grew up in D.C., a lot less, um, D.C. now is a lot less in terms of, it's grown, you have people from all over the world, you have different ethnicities, uh, you have different communities coming in. Back when I was growing up in the DMV, it was a lot more just, look, man, you had black folks, you had white folks, and that's about it. And then you just kind of work from there. It was integrated, segregated. We lived together, but for the most part, when we did things, we were doing it separately. Um, but for the most part, Washington brought all races together in regards to that's who we were rooting for. You know, black folks, when I was growing up, it was Georgetown basketball, baby. Georgetown, Georgetown, Georgetown. John Thompson, that's what I'm talking about. You either rooted for Georgetown, if you were black, and if you're white, you voted, you rooted for uh, Maryland, especially after Lefty Drizel left. But, um, you know, that, that was the deal. That was the thing that we were talking about. Washington, that football team, back then being the Redskins, that was the only thing really that brought the races together. Now you have Hispanics and others who have um, infiltrated, is the wrong word, but now you have uh, uh, folks of other races uh, living in D.C., coming from other uh, places. So it's, it's not the same as it was back when I was growing up in terms of the love that uh, we garnered for that football team. But under Snyder, it's, it's become irrelevant. For Snyder, that, that same generation doesn't understand the impact of that team and what it had on the community. Hopefully, I'm hoping that Josh Harris and Magic Johnson and the rest of the um, partners who are now with the uh, Washington football team, Washington commanders, hopefully they will go ahead and turn around and have it, uh, have it, make, it uh, make it right, bring it back. Not maybe not back to the '80s, of course, but uh, you know, small steps at a time. Let's bring it back to relevancy first, and then we can go ahead and we can work from there. Wendell's world of sports, man. What's going on with these uh, NFL running backs going on right now? What is the state of Dalvin Cook? What's the state of Joe Mixon? What's the state of um, these guys? I will go ahead and I will explain what's happening with those guys after I get down and after I boogie on Wendell's. World in Sports.
Last segment of the podcast. Last segment of the program. Wendell's World of Sports. So glad, doggone glad that you could be with us. Um, man, I'm just thinking about the state of the running backs, man. The number of running backs with contracts averaging around $12 million per year or more has been cut in half thanks to releases and pay cuts. There were eight at the end of last season. Now there are four remain when you're speaking about players, running backs who are getting paid. When you think about veteran running back this season, Joe Mixon, Aaron Jones took pay cuts. Ezekiel Elliott, Devin Cook, Leonard Fournette, they were cut. Saquon Barkley, Josh Jacobs, Tony Pollard were a franchise tag but couldn't agree on a new deal. Austin Eckler wanted a new deal. The Chargers said, no thanks, so he said, trade me. Kareem Hunt has not found employment yet. I sure hope he's not running around hitting white women. But uh, so far, yeah, those guys, the biggest salary, the biggest uh, salary for this upcoming season um, is going to be uh, Miles Sanders. Who left Philadelphia, signed with Carolina, signed a four-year, $25 million deal. But that's about it, man. The running backs, such as Josh Jacobs of the Las Vegas Raiders, Saquon Barkley of the um, of the New York Giants, couldn't agree to a long-term deals, and they weren't going to take the uh, salary tag. The salary tag was a one-year, $10 million deal that comes with signing the tag. Neither can negotiate a long-term deal with their teams until after the season. Uh, due to missing Monday's this past Monday's deadline, long-term deals are prohibited from being signed until the 2023 regular season ends on January January 7th, 2024. Barkley reportedly rejected a three-year offer in the $11 million per year neighborhood with $22 million to $23 million in guarantees at the July 17th deadline. These numbers were apparently within one to two million of what Barkley was looking for to consummate a deal. So other running backs not signed are Dalvin Cook, Tony Pollard. Now Tony Pollard, they did work out a, a one-term deal or a one-year deal. They, the um, he was a franchise tag. They couldn't him and the Cowboys uh, work out a long-term deal. But um, you know, regardless of what happens. Tony Pollard is going to be making $10 million. It also means that Dallas won't be able to negotiate a new contract with him until the conclusion of the season, which I mentioned before. Dalvin Cook is still taking a look at the uh, teams in the AFC East. Is he going to go back home to Miami and play with the Dolphins? Is he going to go with the New England Patriots, the uh, New York Jets? So those are the top contenders for Dalvin Cook. The last running back to get a big payday was Nick Chubb in 2021 when he was going into the final year of his rookie contract. The Browns gave him a three-year, $36.6 million million contract extension, averaging $12.2 million, with uh, $20 million being in guarantee and $17 being fully guaranteed. I believe the highest paid player or running back now is going to be Christian McCaffrey, I think that he's making like $16 million a year after he was uh, uh, he was traded midseason by Carolina to the uh, 49ers. They uh, signed him to a long-term deal, I believe, uh, last season. So there you have it, man. It's interesting to see. Now, with Saquon, I think when you're, when you're speaking about, man, what are these deals? What are these deals mean? What's going to be happening with these deals? 
I think it's just a matter of, hey, look, man, you know, with Josh Jacobs, are you going to be giving him a long-term deal when you take a look at his age, when you take a look at his usage, and when you take a look at the need for the Las Vegas Raiders? I, I think the person who should have gotten, who was in the best position to get themselves a long-term deal, and now when you're speaking about running backs in the NFL, a long-term deal could be four to five years. And I think because of the production, I think because of how, I, I think there's been this notion that somehow, some way, the importance of a running back has been diminished to the fact that you can go out and get yourself a running back anywhere. That that that, that there's Nick Chubbs and there's Saquon Barkley's and there's Christian McCaffrey's just just growing on trees. And depending upon what system that you're in or what offensive coordinator that you have or what or what your quarterback situation is or who you have at the quarterback, that's going to make it easier for someone to get them a bargain basement type of uh, running back to uh, plug in every two or three years or so to continue having success and not having to break the bank at a position that is so, uh, the word volatile isn't the word, but that, that, that has been diminished so like the running back position. When you take a look at the other positions of the football team, especially quarterbacks, and you see over a five-year period how those raises or how the salaries have gone up and up and up, and with the running back being the only position that has taken a decrease in terms of the annual salary, um, it's it's interesting. I, I think a lot of teams, when they saw the outcome of Ezekiel Elliott, when he signed that six-year, $90 million contract, and you saw the lack of production that he gave in concert with the with the contract that he signed, I think it uh, scared a lot of teams off. So because of that, um, you know, these teams are being more fiscally responsible. But, you know, it, it's all a matter of, if you say, for instance, if you're someone like the New York Giants, and you believe that you have the opportunity to really do some things, not let you, if you, if you want to call last year a fluke, basically that's kind of what you're doing when you're speaking about not going ahead in, if you're one or two million dollars apart in a three-year three-year deal concerning Saquon Barkley, um, I, I don't know a how much confidence you have in what you did last season can be sustainable and improved upon, but B it also maybe shows you something in terms of the belief that they have in Daniel Jones, because a lot of the success that happened with Daniel Jones and his quote-unquote breakout season with the Giants last year was in part because of the uh, duo that uh, he formed with, or the partnership that he formed with Saquon Barkley. So how much of Daniel Jones' success was attributed to having Saquon Barkley? And if Barkley does miss some games or miss some seasons or doesn't let Le'Veon Bell, how much of a slack are you looking to have Daniel Jones pick up? Because not only is Saquon Barkley valuable in the running game, but also here's a guy that can also be a main contributor in the passing game coming out of the backfield. So those are the things that I'm I'm, I'm kind of interested in in terms of you were if you were that if you were that uh if, if the margin was that small, I wonder why you just didn't go ahead and uh, sign him anyway. But uh we'll we'll see exactly what happens. I mean we're speaking again about a three year deal deal. I know the history, injury history of all these guys. I know that Barkley missed most of the season because a couple of years ago because of a blown ACL. I know that Dalvin Cook has had injuries. I know Tony Pollard has only done this one year in terms of uh, him basically kind of taking over the elite running back position uh, once the season started because they still had belief the Cowboys that uh, Ezekiel Elliott 
could be that guy he wasn't. So Tony Pollard in his situation is like, well, let's see you. If you're the Cowboys, you're like, well, let's, let's see if you can do that again. And also, um, how much impact is he going to have with Dak Prescott? We're still trying to figure out exactly what's going on with Dak Prescott in terms of uh, what type of quarterback is he going to be? Is he going to need a running back that has the value of someone making 11, 12, 13 million dollars for him to succeed with that big contract that he signed? You know, how much are we going to invest with the rest of the team to make sure that he has the best opportunity? The focus for the offense, the focus is going to be on Dak Prescott more than Tony Pollard. So when you're speaking about paying Tony Pollard the type of money that would put him in the discussion, that would give him the responsibility, uh, more responsibility to uh, uh, for wins and losses with the Cowboys, that is going to be placed, those responsibilities are going to be placed more on Dak Prescott than they are um, Tony Pollard. So, you know, guys like Dalvin Cook, again, injury history has played a role. And with these running backs, again, the, the, the years, or I think the days of giving five, six, seven year contracts for running backs are over, especially when you're speaking about they have to prove it first before they can get that type of money. And a lot of times when you're speaking about the running backs um, building a resume to where a high contract can be garnered, a lot of the tires have been taken off of the uh, taken off of the a lot of the tread has been taken off of the tires in that regard for uh, a running back. So those are the things moving on, and those are the things that we'll be looking for. Training camp is starting this week in the NFL, so. Excited about that. Now we can speak about it a little bit more. And I guess now I can start kind of focusing more and more about, you know, which teams are going to be doing stuff in the uh, NFC and the AFC and can Philadelphia contend. And um, Jalen Hurts, is he for real? Or is he now just a one-hit wonder or had just one season? And what's going to be the impact of uh, Aaron Rodgers now with the New York Jets? Is that going to be the, is he going to be the quarterback that's going to put them over the Buffalo Bills in the AFC East? And, you know, the Miami Dolphins and Tua Tungabailoa and, of course, the defending champions, the Kansas City football squad and Patrick Mahomes coming back and all of these other great things. Brock Purdy and what's going to be happening with uh, Trey Lance out there in San Francisco and all of this good stuff. Some of the new quarterbacks that will be taking the helm, Kenny Pickett in year two with the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers, all of this stuff I'll be speaking about because the NFL season starting next week will officially be underway. So... Yes, I am excited about that. I want to thank you very much for listening to the program. So thank you so much. Um, as always, as I mentioned before, download, subscribe, rate, review. Most importantly, enjoy the most unique, entertaining, thought-provoking sports talk podcast that you can listen to. And as always, as I always say, we need to continue to grow. We need to continue to learn. We need to be continue to be educated. So please do me a favor anywhere that you're at. If you could go ahead, have a conversation with someone who doesn't look like you, someone of a different race, someone of a different gender, someone of a different uh, political affiliation, someone from a different um, different religious background. If we could go ahead and learn from each other, love each other, give respect to those who need to have respect, who have earned the respect to be loved and appreciated. If we could go ahead and do that in the times that we have right now, it would be such a great positive. And uh, let's see what we can do to uh, curb ruining this world climate change some of the things that's been happening um in this world as far as the weather is concerned and everything very 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 alarming i'm just happy that i'm like you know 
closer to the end of my life than I am the beginning of my life. Because uh, the way that we're going now, man, the generation, my generation, and the generation ahead of me, man, we are doing everything that we can to uh, ruin this planet. And I'm just not talking about in the racist, ignorant, divided states of America, not just this country. I'm talking about all over the world. So whether you're listening to this podcast in Pakistan, whether you're listening to this podcast in Toronto, whether you're listening to this podcast in Brazil, whether you're listening to this podcast in Australia, whether you're listening to this podcast in the Philippines, wherever you're listening to this podcast, man, please do what we can to love Mother Earth and love each other. Because if you ain't going to do it for yourself, speaking about my generation and the generation after, and remember, man, you got kids, you got grandkids, and you know we need to have this world um, being suitable for them to live uh, for them also. So that's my only ask, that's my only wish, that's my only desire. Wendell's World in Sports, get me out of here, please, with the music. <laughs>